0: Well, it's a delight to be with you this morning, although it's actually afternoon now. I'm going to read a scripture to you, which is a very well-known scripture from Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 16, and it's Paul's vision of the man of Macedonia. And we read these words starting at verse 6. 16, verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there... We traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, there are all kinds of reasons why I love this scripture. Many years ago, um, I spent a year living in the United States with my family. Uh, I was on the staff of a church of about 1500, and I was doing some further study while I was part of that uh, staff team. And I loved it, actually. Um, And while I was there, towards the end, they, they do like English accents in America. You can get away with murder, actually. And um, uh, while I was there, I was offered all sorts of very attractive jobs. And I said to my wife, uh, so what do you think? Honey. You could say honey by then. Um, And she said, uh, I want to go back to Britain. (laughs) Anyway, we we had that conversation for some time. (laughs) Um, But then actually God spoke to me and he said, you must go back to be a missionary in Europe. And those words stayed with me, that idea of being a missionary in Europe. And that's why I love this scripture, because this is the first time we hear specifically about the gospel traveling from the Middle East to a European destination. And sometimes we forget that actually the gospel had traveled to all sorts of places before it reached Europe. It was certainly in the Middle East, as we know. It was in Asia Minor, which we call Turkey today. It was in North Africa. It had traveled into uh, the various regions beyond the Middle East into Iran. We think possibly that the Apostle... Uh, Thomas had already set off, the gospel may even have been in India already, and nowhere is there any evidence that, that, that the gospel had gone to Europe. It's curious, isn't it? And now here, for the very first time, we have this story about the gospel going to a new piece of territory, a new culture, a new soil, if you like, as far as the gospel is concerned. And Paul might have been wondering, well, what's going to happen when we go to this strange place? It wasn't called Europe then, but it is, in fact, what we know as Europe today. So I love this story, this missionary story. And I think there are some principles that we can gain from looking at this story of travel to a mission field. And uh, I'm just looking at the time because I've got a tendency to overrun, so I'm, I was preaching at Assembly of God in Sheffield once, and uh, I asked them beforehand, how long should I preach for? They said, oh, about 45 minutes. And uh, I looked at the clock after I was nearly finished, and it said 15 minutes. I thought, that's surprising. I thought I'd gone longer than that. However, I'll give the last few points quite a bit of welly, and I gave... Everything I'd got in the last few points, I looked at the clock, and it said, 20 minutes. I've just got to stop. I've given everything I've got. And afterwards, I apologized for the length of the sermon. They said, no, that's all right. We didn't mind you going over time. I said, over time? Yeah, they said, you preach for an hour and 10 minutes. I said, really? I said, but the clock. Oh, they said, that clock doesn't work. (laughs) So I've got to be a bit sensitive to, um, to time. So I'm going to make just five simple points this morning so you can count them down. And the first point is simply this. I love this story because it starts with men and women, we suppose, listening carefully to God. And as they were listening to God, they were being directed in all sorts of ways. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, uh, they were stopped by the Holy Spirit from going to certain places and, and so they went to other places where they were permitted to go, and they must have been wondering, God, where on earth are you leading us? What on earth are you doing? You know, please speak to us. And I love that fact that mission begins with listening carefully to how God is directing us. It's very important, isn't it? And then Paul gets this vision of a man from Macedonia in the middle of the night. And I love the fact, too, contained within that listening to God, we actually see the intervention of God, because actually, mission without the intervention of God is going to be no good at all, is, is it? Because actually, the first principle of mission is that God has gone ahead of us he is there first he is the God of mission who opens up the way we're only the ones that follow behind and unless God is directing the path and opening up the way our efforts will be in vain and so that's the starting point for mission The careful listening to God, the intervention of God, the vision of God, the miraculous hand of God in that situation. That's the very first place in which we start. And secondly, I love this story because it's actually a story about partnership. And that's good mission. It's not come over and help us and we'll sit back and watch you do all the work. <laughs> Nor is it um, a declaration, you yeah, we thought you were going to come over and help us, but honestly we don't need you. Um, no, there's an honest recognition that partnership is necessary. And partnership means recognizing where we don't have all the gifts, welcoming those who do, But actually being willing to say, I'm going to play my part. I'm not going to just sit on the sidelines. I'm going to contribute everything that I possibly can in a spirit of partnership. It's lovely, isn't it? And sometimes mission that we've seen around the world has, has actually not had that element of partnership. I would say to my shame that very often British missionaries or missionaries from the West that have gone into places like uh, Africa and, and India where my parents were didn't understand that principle of mission and actually didn't permit national Christians to do anything. I sometimes talk to my African Christian friends and I say, Is Christianity growing in Ghana, or is Christianity growing in Nigeria, or is Christianity growing in Zimbabwe? And of course, the answer all the time is, well, yes. (laughs) It's growing like crazy. And I sometimes say, but was it always that way? No. Well, when did it start growing like crazy? Well, probably about the 1970s and 1980s. Well, what was it about the 1970s and 1980s that that caused Christianity to really suddenly take off and start growing? The missionaries went home. (laughs) It's not that the missionaries did no good at all, but there wasn't the right spirit of partnership. And actually, in that situation, Christianity had to take on African clothes or Indian clothes before it could really begin to penetrate. But actually, the best mission does practice partnership. It recognizes that we have things to learn from others, and we need to embrace that in a particular kind of relationship that causes the gospel to move forward in exciting ways. And the third reason I find this uh, scripture exciting is because it looks at the principle of team i don't know whether you've noticed but in the first part of the scripture um it talks um paul um is being described by luke his traveling companion and and it's it's the, the the vocabulary is interesting he says they or paul they did this they did that paul did this paul saw that And then after they concluded that the vision was from God, the language suddenly changes and you'll see that it's all about we. We concluded that this was a word from God. We got ready to set sail. We arrived here. We moved there. We did this. We did that. We did that. It's all about team. And that's what mission needs to be. It needs to be about team. And within the life of the church, there are lots of teams, aren't there? There's leadership teams, and there's welcome teams, and there's catering teams, and there's life group leaders, and there's this, and every church has different teams. In a sense, the whole church is part of a team, and we have to learn what it means to be team, and the churches which grow the fastest are the churches that have the most people involved in doing something. Mission requires all of the gifts of the people of God. Now, there are times, there are situations where Christianity has perhaps advanced particularly quickly and where it's a more settled situation, where actually we can get away with having very little team, just a pastor or a teacher or a pastor teacher. But we're not in that situation right now. We're in a situation of mission, which is puzzling it is it is unpredictable it's difficult it's it's um, the kind of situation that requires amazing creativity to get into a whole variety of situations that in the past would have been simple but today are complicated and in that situation we need every single gift that we can possibly draw upon it is about team. And to the extent that you're not using your gift, the mission of God is going to be diminished. And so we need every single possible contribution that we can have from the whole people of God. Um, Scholars who've looked at Paul's team would say that there were at least 28 people in the team. We can identify at least 28 people. He didn't use them all the time in the same situation. He wasn't traveling with 28 all the time. Sometimes he placed some there and some there and some somewhere else, and he used different combinations. But all the time, the principle was the same. We need multiple giftings. We need the apostolic. We need the prophetic. We need the um, pastoral. We need the evangelistic. We need all of the gifts coming together to break into situations yesterday I was at a conference it's quite exciting actually it was a group of um, church churches that I've never heard of before they were called Equippers, and I thought wonder what I'm going to find here (laughs) and there were 450 people mainly young from all over Europe and they're all involved in church planting And they've planted, in the last few years, literally literally hundreds of churches with thousands and thousands of people, many of whom are converts. And I thought, wow, this is incredible. These things are bubbling up, and what impressed me most about it was that they were getting these kind of breakthroughs because they were recognizing that they needed all of the gifts. The prophetic was very evident. The apostolic was very evident. The evangelistic was very evident. All of the gifts of the people of God coming together to get the, the spiritual breakthroughs that they needed to plant these churches. It was exciting. I'm seeing that more and more, by the way, that all over the country things are bubbling up. This country is changing in all sorts of interesting ways. But God is raising people up that we don't even know exist. <laughs> it's an interesting time. How many points have I had so far? Three. All right. My fourth point. I said five, so two to go. My fourth reason that I love this scripture is because of the element of obedience. It says in the scripture that they concluded that God was speaking to them, and so what did they do? They said, oh, well, God's speaking to us, we better report back to a committee. No. (laughs) God's speaking to us, so we'll think about it carefully. God's speaking to us, but we're really busy right now, so we'll possibly put that on the agenda for next year's mission trip. No. It says, immediately. Immediately. Once they would concluded that God was speaking, they didn't hang around. They didn't, um, they didn't uh, do anything except immediately make their preparations, and they were off. They were off. They wanted to to respond quickly to what God was leading them to. I think that's, that's really important, isn't it? Because sometimes we can miss the opportunity. Sometimes there is just that pregnant moment, if you like, when if we don't pick up the bat and if we don't take hold of the opportunity, it's gone. And they saw that. And so they were ready to be responsive. They were ready to, to um, um, seize the moment, <laughs> seize the day, to quote a famous phrase. And that's why God was able to bless them. Obedience, obedience to what God was saying to them. And that's tremendously important. Now, my last point is a bit more complicated. But I think it's actually quite important in terms of mission. You know, sometimes we can do all of the things that we've been talking about. We can we can seek God. We can work as a team. We can be obedient. We can look for partnership. We can do all of these things, and we set off. And then suddenly, things don't seem to be as straightforward as we thought. And there's some intriguing little hints in this passage that that was actually the case here. One, I don't know whether you've ever thought about this, but did Paul actually ever meet the man from Macedonia? (laughs) He went on the basis that there was a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. But did did he ever find him? And I think possibly, for part of the time, he, he was looking for, where, where is this man from Macedonia? They went to um, a number of different locations. And, and it says rather intriguingly, uh, we stayed in one place for several days. I wonder what they were doing for those several days. Maybe looking for the man from Macedonia. I don't know. But they didn't find him, actually. And so, can you imagine what might have been going through their minds? Did we hear God right? Were we, were we um, justified in, in, you know, leaping onto a ship so quickly? Shouldn't we have thought this through a bit more carefully? What's really going on here? But actually, they didn't give up. They had to adjust their plans, And finally, what happened was a church was planted in Philippi that actually turned out to be one of the stronger of Paul's churches. It was one of the churches that, um, as time went on, supported him again and again and again. It was a great church. But would you choose to plant a church this way? There were three people that were significant in the planting of this church. One we read about. The other two are in the next little section. I don't know if you can remember who they were, but the next little section tells us that it was a woman who was demon-possessed and a man who got converted because he was terrified, the jailer who was worried that he was going to be killed because of the earthquake releasing Paul. Now, is that how you'd plan a church? A woman, okay, she was a wealthy woman, but women didn't have high status at that time. A woman, a demon-possessed girl, and a jailer. Maybe not your ideal start, but that's where God was leading them to. And actually, God can use all sorts of interesting people in ways that can surprise us if we just have the courage to say, I might not have seen everything that God has in store for me. I might not have got the whole plan. But, but I, I'm willing to set out on this journey. And if necessary, I'll make adjustments. I'm going to keep on seeking. And, and that's the nature of mission. It's not one revelation and that's it for all time. No, we listen to God. We get the vision. But we set off. And having set off, we, 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 we don't stop listening. We have to keep adjusting to what God might be doing and what God might be revealing. So I love this little passage on mission because I think it teaches us so much. Maybe it teaches us quite a bit about mission in Europe. And I think this is an exciting time to be on that mission journey in Europe, because I believe that I believe the tide's turning in Europe actually, and there are lots of indications from all over Europe that, that God is doing something quite special um, in in our time, and He's going to use us to be part of that something special. It started that mission in Europe all those years ago with a vision of a man from Macedonia, and that vision, if you like, has been entrusted to us to figure out what God is going to do in our context, in our time, with the people that we know and love. Amen. Thank you.